You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you, Dinesh. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. James and Julie May, thanks so much for being up here. And thank you, little Neve, for being just the cutest little thing I've ever seen. Oh, my goodness. You produce cute babies, too, along with doing awesome work. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, a, a well done for being here on the long weekend. I wonder if the, the footage of the snow in the Blue Mountains made us all stay in the city for the weekend. I wonder. I hope it's warm enough in here. We're turning up the heat and maybe you can take your coats off in a minute. We'll see how we go. Uh, some good news to start our message this morning with. Last week, we had Marbs, do you remember, from Baptist World Aid with us sharing with us an opportunity to partner with the great work they're doing with the least of these, the poorest of the poor, in a particular community in Nepal. Now, we wanted to raise $10,000, didn't we? We wanted to raise $10,000, and I'm really pleased to announce this morning that we raised $21,800. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Praise God. Thank you. I, I want to say... Thank you for your generosity. Thank you very much. So along with the $10,000 that the church is giving out of our budget, that's almost $32,000 we are giving to the poorest of poor. We are standing with the least of these and supporting them in an incredibly difficult time. Now, it's not too late. If you want to contribute to this, you still can. On the welcome table at the back, there's some info on how you can give. Just use a QR code and that will link it to Harborside Church. It is tax deductible. It's June and that kind of thing matters. Okay, fantastic. Well, so thank you, God. Can I pray? Let's just thank God for the incredible generosity of his people. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for the gifts that you have given us. Lord, we believe that we are blessed to be a blessing. We want to use the, the things that you give us, our time, the resources, our finances to bless people in need. So thank you that we could do that. I pray that you would bless this money and you would make it multiply for the poorest of the poor in Nepal. Help these people who are bone-grindingly poor use this money for your good. In Jesus' name, amen. How are we going with that mic? Is that a bit echoey? It's okay. Pete's on the case. Okay, so this week we're back to our series. As Tani said before, we had a week off with Marbs from Baptist World Aid, but now we're back. We've got two more weeks. We are back to putting our faith to work, connecting our Sunday to our Monday to Friday. That's what we've been trying to do. I hope you've been enjoying this series. I hope. I hope you've been getting something out of it. We've had a Q&A, and now next week we're having another Q&A. So if you've got questions, write them down, put them in your phone, hold them. We've got Cara back up here, myself. We're going to have Andrew up here and some other representatives from the church up here answering some more questions in a Q&A. So that's going to be great. Let's do a little bit of a recap. What have we done? Where have we been so far? We've talked about work and our identity, haven't we? We've talked about that our identity can get so mixed up with what we do. Why is that? Because so often people ask us, what do you do? And they mean, what do you do for work, right? It's so easy to get our work and our identity mixed up. It's hard to see ourselves apart from it. But we've learned that the gospel gives us our own identity. And it gives us enormous freedom as we approach our vocations. We are more than what we produce, yeah? We've also talked about the Sabbath, haven't we? We've talked about the gift of rest. I wonder how you guys are doing with putting anything into place about the Sabbath. We learned that the Sabbath is a gift from God. 
as Christians, we trust that God's running the world and we also trust him that he, he's running our sort of area of work as well, right? He's in charge even of our department at work. And so therefore we can afford to take a day off. We can turn the phone off. We can turn the email notifications off and we can rest our mind and our body and our souls. We need to replenish them. Sabbath's a gift. We've also talked about work and purpose. We talked about in one week that we're uniquely created by God for a specific purpose at a particular time in history that no one can fulfill but us. Pretty bit of a grand calling, isn't it? We've talked about our workplace equipping us. Kara talked about this two weeks ago. I found this a really fascinating thought that our place of work being maybe God's primary place of shaping our character, that God can use the difficulties, things that James and Julie May were talking about at work to shape us, to change it. He can use that. Yeah, he can use everything. He can use our work to make us more like him, to make us more like his son. So today, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're asking this question. Does being a Christian change how I actually do my work? If the workplace is God's primary place of shaping us, and I think it is, then surely the workplace is a primary place of living out our faith. Right? Just simply just in the number of hours, right? It's the primary place of how we live out our faith. Therefore, how does being a Christian change how I work, how I go about my work, even what I produce? If we embody the gospel, the kingdom values in our workplaces, will it look different? Will our workplaces, will even the work itself look different? I kind of want to contend yes today. Maybe? Can we say yes together and look at this together? Now, let's remember where we came from. This is particularly from Andrew's message opening the series. We learned that work is not a curse from the beginning, that we were made to work, right? That God made us for, for purpose, to work. And we learned that in Genesis 3, in the, the fall of humanity, that work is cursed, that from, from the ground will produce fruit, but also thorns and weeds. And what next then? If we were made for work, but work's cursed, what about as Christians? Can we redeem work? That's what I want to look at today. Does being a Christian make a difference? Or is it just all really hard? It's a tough slog and just get out and, you know. Or does being a Christian make a difference in what we do? Now, today we've got a great passage in front of us to help us figure out the answers to some of these questions. Are you with me? Yeah, let's have a look at this great passage. One of my favorites, and you might be quite familiar with this New Testament story of a short guy climbing a tree to see Jesus. Maybe you even remember it from, from Sunday school. A short guy climbing a tree to see Jesus. It's a cute story, but beneath the cuteness or above the cuteness, I'm not sure, we're going to see some profound things there today, and particularly some things that relate to our questions today. Can we redeem? Can we bring kingdom values, principles, the gospel even into our work and change it? Well, let's check out our passage for today. What do, what do we notice? The first few verses, we notice a few things. Jesus comes to a town, uh, Jericho, where a man by the name of Zacchaeus lives. Not so much a popular boy's name for today, but Zacchaeus, but Zach. Should we call him Zach? That's a cool name. Zach, Zacchaeus, lives in this town. Now, we're straight away told a few things about him. He's a tax collector. 
not just any old tax collector. He's a senior, a chief tax collector, and he's wealthy. Can we just spend like a minute or so, two paragraphs on my page, dealing with some of the context because I think it really helps. He's a tax collector, senior tax collector. He's wealthy. His bears fleshing out. Now, many of us know tax collectors in Jesus' day were not popular figures. Right? They were not liked. And bringing it to today, I would say the ATO, the Australian Taxation Office, is not one of our most loved institutions. Is that fair to say? If you get a letter in the post or an email from the ATO, how do you feel? Yeah, not so. It might be a refund, so it could be good. Generally, it might not be. But I would say we don't despise people who work for the ATO. I mean, do you? Maybe you do. I don't know. But I would say we don't, you know. Like, so why were these tax collectors hated? It wasn't so much that they collected taxes. Most people get, you know, we've got to pay for roads and hospitals. We understand that. But it wasn't just that they collected taxes, how they did it, and it's who they did it for. Now, who do they do it for? We know this. They did it for the Romans, okay? Israel, Palestine, they were an occupied territory. The poor, poor Israel, they've been occupied for a long time. Everybody had their go. Babylon, Assyria, the Greeks, and now it's the Romans' turn, right? And they're oppressed. They're an oppressed people. The Romans also weren't particularly popular, right? They could be brutal. They could be brutal. They had the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, but you tried to challenge Rome and you didn't experience peace. They could be brutal. In, in the collective memory of Jesus' day, there, there was a, an uprising that was brutally squashed and the roads were lined with people who were crucified along the roadside. This is in the collective memory of the people. How would you feel then? If one of your own, so what the Romans did is they would employ local people to collect taxes for them. How would you feel if one of these people, someone you knew, knocked on your door collecting for the Romans? In your mind, you're thinking, man, they crucified my cousin so-and-so. I mean, how would you feel? You're not like, oh, yeah, can't wait to contribute to the war machine. So it's not just that, but it's also how they did it. Not just who they did, but how they did it. They had a terrible reputation for, for, for taking more than they needed. Now, we don't know if that's how they got their salary, their commission, I'm not sure. But regardless, they inflated what they were supposed to collect. And I would say they, they just kept it going up and up and up. What were they doing? They're making money off their own people, exploiting people. Now, remember, we're told Zacchaeus, he's a chief tax collector, and what else? He was wealthy. You think Zacchaeus is in on this? For sure. He was wealthy. This man making himself rich at other people's expense. Now, is it pretty easy to see why this guy was not so popular? People like him? It's hard to blame people for being angry with guys like him. Now, we're told this is the character that we meet at the beginning of our story, and he wants to see Jesus, but he can't because he's short. There's a bit of comedy here, I think. I don't know why he can't see him. Maybe there's a big crowd. No one's letting him through because no one liked him. Maybe. But we're told he climbs a tree. This is supposed to be funny, I think. I mean, wealthy men did not climb trees. Kids climb trees. I don't know. We'll see what happens after the service and the tree back there. But, you know, kids, even today, kids climb trees. But, you know, men don't really climb. Back then, wealthy men did not climb trees. But Zacchaeus did. He really wanted to see Jesus. I think this shows the desperation with this man. 
Well, Jesus, we're told, reaches the spot somehow of where Zacchaeus is, maybe under the tree, and he points at him. Now, I, I think the whole, the whole city's come out to see Jesus. This is a time when Jesus' ministry is very popular. It doesn't take long for everyone to leave him, but at this point, very popular. whole city's come out, and he points out who? Zacchaeus. This guy? This little corrupt traitor. Jesus calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. What does he do? Zacchaeus comes down. He does. He comes down and he welcomes Jesus into his home. And how do you think everybody else felt? We're told. Verse 7. All the people. That's pretty inclusive. All the people. Saw this, what went on. Jesus calling this guy by name. I'm, going to, I'm coming to your house. Everyone saw it. So everyone saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner? Muttering in the New Testament's always got this negative connotation, like all the people muttered amongst them, just like, I can't believe this. This is a no comprehend moment, right? Why on earth would Jesus, seemingly a good religious man, spend time with a traitor? Doesn't make sense. An extortionist. Right? Jesus should be rebuking this man. Zacchaeus, he deserves a public dressing down. Jesus, you should, should condemn this man for what he's saying. Aren't you on about justice? See, everyone had concluded that this man and all he stood for was beyond redemption. You see where we're going today? All the people thought this man, all he stood for was beyond redemption. Jesus, he's not worthy of a time. He's too far gone. He's disqualified himself from your kingdom. But they don't see what's about to happen. They've got no idea. Verse 8, Zacchaeus, I imagine, is hosting a sumptuous feast. And he says these incredible words. <laughs> Why? Jesus, sorry, Zacchaeus has experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. And when people experience the grace of Jesus Christ, transformation happens. You can't have one without the other. You experience the grace of Jesus Christ, transformation occurs. Zacchaeus stands up in front of everyone in this sumptuous feast and he says, Lord, right here and now, right here and now, <clears throat> half of everything I own, I give to the poor. Don't read over that. That's a, think about half of what you own, giving that away. Half of what I own, I give to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, which I reckon he had, I'm giving back four times the amount. This is a massive call. What we're seeing here is radical transformation. They're amazing claims. Now, what caused this change in Zacchaeus? The grace of Jesus Christ. We've said it. It, it causes a heart change. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean the very deepest point of who we are. Call that heart. The Bible uses the word heart a thousand times to mean the, the, very, the very seed of our person. The very core of Zacchaeus has changed. <clears throat> you could say, we've talked about this, he received a new pair of glasses, right? And so he sees the world differently. How does he view his wealth? I don't need all this. What the heck was I accumulating it all for anyway? 
half of it I'll give away. And screwing people out of money was not okay. I'm going to do something about that. Do you see? This man has been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to talk about today. He got a new story for work. He got a new story for work. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's, what was his old story, his old worldview? What was it? I think it was probably something like this. Life is hard. The Romans are tough. You've got to be tough to survive in this world. Sounds a bit like my grandfather about that Romans bit, right? Life's tough. You do what you can to survive in this world. Therefore, I can justify what I'm doing to my fellow Jews. Why? Because a man's got to do what a man's got to do to survive. You can kind of imagine him thinking this. Get what you can. Look after number one, and who really cares who I trample along the way? If there is a God, you know what? He's not that interested in what I do. (laughs) Yes, he is. You see, that day Zacchaeus was introduced to a new story. And you and I, we've been given a new story that changes everything, right? It changes nothing or it changes everything. God himself, Jesus Christ, has entered into our story to show us life-changing love. He taught us to love God, love each other, and the operating principle of his kingdom is servant-heartedness. It changes everything. But Dave, that doesn't work in the real world. Ah, we'll get to that. Here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I'd love to, to spend the next little, the next part of our message today on. What happened next? Zacchaeus, wouldn't you love, I'd love to know. What happened next? What happened when Zacchaeus went back to work on Monday morning? Now, we're not told that, but I, I'm kind of fascinated. Do you think he went back to his corrupt ways? No way. We're told he's given half of his money to the poor, and I'm going to pay back four times anything that I've you know, screwed people out of money for. Do you think he's going to resume his corrupt way of life? No way. This man's been changed. He's experienced heart renewal because of the grace of God, just like you and me. So here's the question. Was being a tax collector in itself an immoral job? Was Zacchaeus able to keep being a tax collector? now that he was a Jesus follower, or did he have to, you know, I've got to resign. I can't be part of this anymore. What do you think? Could there be such a thing as a Christian tax collector? It's a good question, isn't it? I think yes. I reckon there'd be some debate, but I think yes. I think he could have stayed, and I think he could have had enormous positive influences in his profession. Remember, he wasn't just any old tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. Imagine the influence he could have had. In Luke's gospel early on, when John the Baptist was doing his baptism of repentance, some tax collectors came to him and they said, what should we do? What should we do to be different, to prepare for this new new Messiah you say is coming? And what did John the Baptist say? He didn't say, leave your immoral jobs. He said, don't collect more than you need to. So there's a hint. Such a thing as a Christian tax collector? Can the grace and redemption of God work in a broken system? in a corrupt system? I think the answer here is yes. Now, what does that mean for us? Just imagine what Zacchaeus could have done. Senior man in that world, so much opportunity to apply kingdom values, to be a light in that very dark world. Okay, what are the implications for us here? As followers of Jesus, 
we have the ability and the opportunity to redeem. I say almost anything. Now, let's not kid ourselves. There are some jobs and some industries I think Christians just can't be a part of, all right? So if you're a pimp, you work in the porn industry or anything illegal to make money, it's time to get a new job, all right? Now, I don't think that's many people I can see here, but all right, so we'll get that out of the way because I think that's true. There are some things the Bible's pretty clear on. We can't be involved in immoral things like that. But I don't think that's really where we are at, okay? We work in the gray, don't we? That's what we're talking about today. For most of us, where God has divinely placed us, it's there that we can do the redeeming work. The redemption we've experienced can and must overflow in our work lives. Now, what does this look like? Okay, let's get to the pointy end. What does it look like? Well, let me just talk about something first, which I want to deal with, and it's this. Some of us think and some of us have been taught that the primary or maybe even the only way we can do this is just to share our faith with our co-workers, right? So if you're asking, how can I be a, a Christian at work? How can I do my work Christianly? And if the only answer is just share my faith with our co-worker, it's not wrong, but it's the answer's not big enough. Does that make sense? It's a great thing to do. Should we take the opportunities when they come? Absolutely. But um, here's something that you already know. You're not paid to share your faith with your co-workers. You're not. I love that Andrew in the first message, he called this fish thinking evangelistic rationalism. I like that term. Is it my, my only role as a Christian in the workplace to tell people about Jesus? No. We're not employed to share our faith with our co-workers. If we get a chance, should we take it? Absolutely. But primarily, what are we called to do? Live lives worthy of the gospel and always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. That's implying that people will ask us questions, right? Okay, it's good to deal with that. What you and I need, I love this sentence. If you leave with nothing else, leave with this maybe ringing in your head. We, you and I need God's imagination for our workplaces. This is my prayer at the end of the message today is, God, for all of us, how can I have your imagination for my workplace? What a question to ask. God, how can I have your imagination for my workplace? You see, because wherever God is, and he is present with us by his spirit, right? So wherever God is, there is transformation. So how can we have God's imagination for our workplaces? Can I give you a couple of examples, a couple of stories? Here's something that I encountered very early on in my work life in the corporate world, which I was just so suited for. I remember <clears throat> a couple of years into my, you know, beforehand, I'm just going to get a little drink of water. Sorry, I'm just a little bit parched. Um, I remember a couple of years into my corporate life, I was in the lift and a few older execs got in the lift and they did not know my name. And uh, I, they, they started a conversation and I just tried to disappear into the corner of the lift, you know that feeling. One was a senior HR guy and one was, I think, the New South Wales head or something like that, some big wig anyway. And I was, felt quite intimidated. Now, the head exec, I'll never forget this interaction, the head exec said to the HR guy, oh, Gary's leaving today. And the HR reps kind of hit his head, oh, of course, you know, like he just remembered. It's so nice. Um, 
some background. Gary had been with a company for 35 years. I worked a bit with Gary, nice guy. Worked with the company 35 years. He was retiring later that day. Now then the New South Wales head said, oh, are you across doing something for him this afternoon? And the HR rep said, laughing, I'll never forget his reply. He said, yeah, I'll throw something together and check my drawer to see what I can rustle up. I, I, I swear to you, that's exactly, particularly that last bit, I'll check my drawer to see what I can rustle up. And they both laughed. And then they got out of the lift at the executive level. <clears throat> I tell you what, I really got in, an insight, a few insights that day into the corporate world. We are so replaceable, hey? It's just for every single one of us. It's just life. We're replaceable. But more than that, I didn't have the resources that I have now to think about it as well back then, but I was just struck, of course, by what you're all struck with, of how little that HR guy cared for someone who'd given so much to the company. Uh, that really struck me. Now, okay, let's pick on that guy for a minute, all right? <laughs> What would have happened if that senior HR guy had a better story for work? How could he have been different? This is what I'm trying to get at. How does the, the gospel give us resources to be different at work? You and I, we've given, been given a better story, a bigger story, a grander story, the story for our lives, for our work lives, okay? Every one of us was made in the image of God. We talked about that. James mentioned that, right? So what does that mean? Each person has value. Now, yeah, we've all turned our backs on God, but let's look at the passage before us, Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to what? Condemn you all. To seek and save the lost. My favorite verse in the whole Bible. That's why Jesus came. At the very least, what can we conclude? People matter to Jesus. Yep. So should they matter to us? Yes, of course. Okay. So, now, what if that HR rep viewed his job and Gary's contribution to the company differently? Instead of some crappy card and some medallion he found at his work drawer with the company logo stamped on it, which is probably in the bin now, um, how could he have used his new story or this new story for work? Right? Maybe your imagination is just going wild at the moment. In any number of ways, right? How could he have helped Gary feel valued? That's the question, right? I mean, think of it so many ways. I was just brainstorming just briefly before. He could have gone to his business associates, his colleagues, business partners, different people, his staff, and put a story together about Gary's time there to make him feel valued for the many years he's contributed to the company. He could have spoken to Gary's wife and found out what's he transitioning to next? What's his retirement going to look like? Maybe we could give him a gift that would help him. Do you see what I'm saying here? I mean, it's, it's not rocket science, but it's, it's applying this new story. How could he have said, we care, we value people, and the good work you've done for this company in a kind way, instead of bad coffee and a Woolies cake one afternoon in the staff room? See, imagine if the HR rep simply had applied this and made Gary feel valued. He's not preaching to people in doing this if he was a Christian person, but simply using a better story for work, right? To love and serve those in our sphere of influence. You see? Can I give you another example? I talked to a friend of mine a little while ago um, just about how work was going, and he shared with me, actually, it was not the easiest week. It had to lay someone off the day before. 
I was having this chat with him. That's tough. Have you had to do that? Have you ever had to let somebody go to fire someone? That's hard. But it's a reality. And I asked him, I said, oh, does um, being a Christian make a difference in doing something like that? And he had an awesome answer for this, I'm thankful to say. He gave me a few principles. He obviously thought this through. He said, well, you know what? The first thing I did, I sat him down personally. I sat him down. I didn't outsource it. See, often the temptation, we don't want to do hard things, right? We want the path of least resistance. And so an email or a letter or getting an underling to deliver the news is easier. And he said, no, no, I took personal responsibility for it. And I wanted to look this person in the eye. I wanted to treat them like a human being. It's hard, but I felt like I owed this person that. Oh, okay. What else? He said, you know what? Then I just told him the truth, which was this. I wish the company was in a better position to keep you on, but it's not. Now, my friend a few months before had given the team a bit of a heads up. The company wasn't doing amazing. If things didn't change, cutting people was going to have to be a possibility. You see, you know this more than I know this. If a company holds too many staff for too long a time, company goes bust, no one's got a job. He was honest. He sat him down and he was honest. And here's another thing I love. Before he even went into that meeting, he went into bat for this person to the board earlier that week and asked, can we do more for this person? We're letting this person go at a difficult time to find a job. Can we help cushion the blow a little bit more? And he negotiated on their behalf so more weeks redundancy. See, my friend did not preach the gospel at this person, but he brought a new story to work. Do you see what I'm trying to say? He showed him kindness and honesty. He treated him like a person, not a faceless employee, and he advocated for him to the board. There's a lot of gospel in there, amen? A lot of gospel in there. Okay, being a Christian gives us the resources to redeem our work because Christ has redeemed us. Okay, I'm going to close with this. Let me close with this. Many of us in our roles and vocations, we are given little other benchmark than profit. What do I mean by that? Maximizing profits within legal limits, that's kind of, that's it, isn't it? That's the holy grail. Is that right? In so many of our professions. But the result of this, as Tim Keller says in his book on work, that's incredibly helpful, but the result of this can be, if that's the only true north, polluted rivers, poor service, unjust compensation, entitlement attitudes, dead-end jobs, dehumanizing bureaucracies, backstabbing, and power grabs. Now, I know, I get the irony of a minister talking to you. I say to you, you're not employed to share your faith where I am. That's exactly how I'm employed. So, but that's why I'm trying to get different voices up here, okay? Now, I know, I'm not naive. I know profit's essential. I know without it, ventures and businesses fail. I get it. But our world is crying out for a bigger story, a better story. Now, I'd like to finish this morning by embarrassing one of our own. I hope that's okay. In line with trying to get more from all of us who are in the workforce, I'd love to invite one of our Matt Stenmark Mark up to share his vision for bringing a better story for work. Come on up, Matty. Can we thank Matt? Let's come on up. Oh, you got it? Thanks, Matt. Okay, now many of you will know Matt a little bit or a lot. I'm not entirely sure. 
But Matt, thanks for coming up. Thanks, Dave. Thanks Appreciate for being here. Yeah. Awesome. Now, maybe even some of us might know what Matt is doing right now, and I want you to talk more about that. But can you just give us a bit of a lead up in your work life of what you were doing before right now? Yeah, so um, studied marketing and a bit of psychology, had a pretty standard path, went in. I remember I was chatting to a Christian, uh, an older Christian gentleman. I said, what should I do? I'm sort of studying these things. And he goes, go and work in either uh, pharmaceuticals or the airlines. And I said, why? He said, because they're both really, really difficult. You know, if a, if a plane falls out of the sky, it's a problem for marketers. Um, <laughs> and he said, and, and pharma, you know, who doesn't hate drug companies? Go and start there and then you'll be able to, you know, work out the rest. Um, and so I did that. I called someone who I knew was uh, working for a pharma company and that's what I started doing. Essentially selling health foods more than like hardcore pharma. Um, okay. Yeah, I did that for a number of years. Now, how did what you're doing now, we'll get to it in a moment, how did all that experience lead you into what you're doing now? What did you discover there? Yeah, I think, for, you know, you, 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 you come out of university and, you know, you, you have a certain expectation about what work is and, and then the real world hits and you're like, okay, this is what work is. And so for me, it was really just about laying the foundations about what does it mean to, um, you know, for me particularly, it was being in the health space and in the brand space and the marketing sort of space you know, really laying the foundations for what it means to be working. And also, as you were talking about today, what does it mean to be a Christian? Trying to navigate the complexities of difficult people and difficult business problems. And so those first, you know, sort of 10 years was just about, uh, yeah, trying to navigate that and falling over and getting back up again and falling back over and getting back up again. Now, tell us, tell us what you're doing now, mate, your vision about what you're trying to do now. Yeah, so um, I was doing, I'd worked for about 10 years and I thought, uh, with my wife, Jade, I thought, why don't we have a break? And so we had a, had a bit of a break and we were fortunate enough to travel a bit. And we spent three months, particularly in the middle of uh, uh, Africa, Tanzania and stuff. And we, we, it took me about a day. I was there at an orphanage uh, and a school in the afternoon and I saw these kids that were sick. And I was sort of been selling vitamins to rich people, essentially. Um, and, you know, people like us. And I sort of sitting there and I was just seeing these kids and, you know, so many of these kids were starving. Now, they had food in their belly, you know, like they were physically uh, full, but they were lacking a lot of really essential nutrients. And so I sort of tapped Jade on the shoulder and said, this is, you know, bananas. Like, like there's so many people um, really struggling. And then we, you know, traveled some more. And I, for me, I, you know, passion about the environment started seeing, particularly throughout parts of Asia, just waste, plastic, like I'd never, ever seen before. And so sort of on my travels then came home and thought, oh, Australia, we don't have any issues. And then I started looking around and noticing just how many of, you know, uh, Australians, our brothers and sisters here in our own backyard, struggling with homelessness, um, you know, being out of, in, you know, stable families. And I thought, how can we create something? How can we create a business that tries to support, you know, the least of these as well as make a profit? And so that sort of led me to where I am now. So, um, basically, you know, so I quit my job, came back. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to create a, a brand that kind of gives back. And so um, I launched a brand about a year ago uh, called Kind, uh, funnily enough. Y-N-D. K-Y-N-D. And it's essentially a health brand, predominantly vitamins. And try to, try to really build into our DNA something that's good for others. Um, and so I've been working in the space before and, you know, creating you know, hopefully products that benefit people's health, but said, okay, how do we create a brand that um, gives back? But we are for profit. See, the thing, the thing that I think a lot of us think is that we've got the NGO space 
and we've got the profit space. And there's sort of two ways of doing it. And profit is at anything's or anyone's expense. And then the NGOs, well, they're not there to make money, so they have to just minimize costs, can't hire great people, and that's what it's about, which is just so such a fallacy, right? Um, and so I thought, you know, something that I'm really passionate about is not not-for-profit, not-for-profit, but for people. And I think as Christians, we've got the ability, whether we're starting a business, running a business, part of a business, or, you know, working at home to be a part of something for people, you know? Um, and that's something I'm really passionate about. So created a brand where for every product we sell, um, we donate a health product to an Australian in need. And then we've also worked really hard to reduce the amount of plastic in all of our packaging so that we're, you know, our bottles don't end up in the earth for 250 years once we, uh, once we go. So how does that change? I want to talk about how you had, what that was like selling that idea to investors as well because that's something quite different. But yeah. how does that change what you celebrate at work? Yeah, I mean, so we are a for-profit business and, and I'll sort of try to answer that question in the end. I was going to launch the, the, the brand on my own um, and so I'd sort of gone to private investors and equity funds and just all the, a lot of the classic places and I'd done a little bit of that before and said, basically, here's a concept. What do you think of it? I went and spoke to Coles and a few of the other retailers and said, hey, what do you think? And the fascinating thing that I learned, I mean, I'd read about it, but what I learned is that when you start having a business that's thinking about other people, people that have done this before recognize that people are actually really interested in it. Yeah, because all of a sudden you're a business that's about giving something back and by and large, like, okay, we're all consumers here, right? We want to support a brand. You know, if you get given the chance, if the product's the same cost, you know, same quality, but you go, okay, cool, this one doesn't pollute the earth and this one maybe, you know, helps someone else in, out in need, most people go, yeah, I'll give it a shot, right? And so the investors that I was pitching to were sort of like, well, here's something different. So as those... I guess my motivation maybe to give back to people that opened up a bunch of doors. I'll give you another example. I, well, I, I was designing the range and I didn't have heaps of money. Like it's expensive to create all this stuff. And I was chatting to a friend of a friend and he's got a big, or works at a big fancy design agency in New York. And they're like, no, we'll do it for you, mate. Don't worry, we'll do it. I was like, as in you'll do all the designs? And I'm like, yeah, 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 fine. We, we do a pro bono case each year. And, and so what people don't realize that sometimes when they think either not-for-profit or for-profit, um, that, you know, there's an opportunity to be for people. And I think it's for actually the business is good. And I think there's an abundance of, of data. And so in the end, um, I was able to essentially sort of merge my concept and sort of sell this vision into a, a bigger organisation that, you know, my little business is now a part of. Awesome. Yeah. How would you encourage us here that not all of us are entrepreneurs, not all of us would, would just start something like this? I mean, what, I think what you're doing is fantastic, and I think as a church we want to be getting behind this. Um, how would you encourage us maybe and just we might be struggling with how can I bring my faith to work? Yeah, I think, um, um, and I'll answer the part of the second part of the question I didn't do a too good job on, is, is what do we celebrate in there too? Because um, I think it's the same thing. I, I, I mentioned four people. Um, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what we're doing, it's about engaging with the people around us, right? Whether you're amazing lawyers, and thank you for sharing your story, guys. That was fantastic. Or, or no matter what you're doing, you're working with people. Jesus cares about people, right? Now, from a business perspective, the data is overwhelming that 
good businesses essentially are run by good people. At the end of the day, that's what people is. You know, it's like, yes, we're selling something, but, you know, who decides what you're selling and how to sell it and what to create? It's people, right? And so something that I'm really passionate about is, is celebrating and caring about people. That's your customer, that's your employees, or that's your colleagues, right? So to use your example of, of uh, Gary, was it Gary? So Gary, right? So, okay, he gets a really bad send-off. Now, the data's really clear. If you send someone off really well, the rest of the staff sit there and go, wow, this place cares about people. I might stick around. Right? So, so it's not only nice for Gary, but it's good for business. So a business that's for people is actually also, the data's pretty clear, better for profit. They're not contradictory. Now, it's not to say that you can't sometimes let people go because that's what it means to run a good business. And ultimately, that's for uh, for people at a greater sense, otherwise the business closes. But I think the biggest thing for me that I've learned through doing this and, you know, you know, fallen down and gotten back up is I, even if this brand doesn't succeed and there's a real risk that it doesn't succeed, you know, we're only a year old, um, we're celebrating how many don donations we make, which is cool. So it's not just about the profit. You know, celebrating, okay, we've hit 50,000 donations. That's amazing, you know, how cool is that? Or, and, and for me, I'm also celebrating the fact that we're getting to shape, my little team's getting to shape a broader business by showing that, you know, you can give back. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned and the biggest piece of advice would be to care about your colleagues and to care about your staff and to, to be mindful of what's best for them because that's actually better for profits too. Yeah. For sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks, mate. No, no, no. Been grateful. Yeah. I'm going I'm to pray for Matt and for all of us as we try to uh, apply these truths. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for our brother Matt. Thank you for the, the, the heart that you've given him. Thank you that you've given him a new vision for work. And Lord God, we pray for a blessing on his brand. We pray, Father, that it would, that it would grow. We, we ask for this. We humbly ask that it could grow, that it could serve people across the world and this country. Um, Father, I pray that you would help all of us apply this. Maybe some of us are struggling right now with... I don't know where to begin. Lord, I ask that we just simply ask that question, God, how can we have your imagination for our workplaces? Just help that to, to just roll around our minds and Holy Spirit work in us to think about this, to change some things, to try some things, to step out in faith and to be you where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Maddie, thank you so much for sharing, brother.